Peter is a disciple of Jesus who was familiar with suffering, and it changed him. We can see that in the Scriptures, and then later in his career, he wrote these words as he had learned from the school of experience, uh, lessons from God about suffering. And so he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind, clear mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hands can tell you a lot about a person. Rugged hands with thick fingers and grease under the fingernails, right? Those hands belong to a tradesman who just took apart an engine and he can put it back together in five minutes. Tender, soft hands with pretty painted fingernails have seen a few trips to the spa. Little tiny hands with tiny little fingers groping for help belong to a little baby who is, uh, who is dependent on mommy and daddy for a lot of things, right? Hands can tell you a lot about a person. So the Bible talks to us about God having hands, and it does that for a reason. It wants to tell us what God is like. And so, in this section of Scripture today, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about God having hands, and they do two things. God's hands discipline, and God's hands also deliver. We're going to look at those two things from these words in 1 Peter 5. So, I'm going to say it up front. It's true, it, it has been true of us all, it is true of us all, and it will remain true of us all until we get to heaven. That God's discipline in a Christian's life is often mistaken for God's wrath and punishment. It is not. So trouble and suffering, sweat and toil, pain and hardship in your life as a Christian is never and will never be God's punishment on you for your sins, your guilt, or your shame, or something you did wrong. Never. It can't happen. Romans 8 verse 1, top 10 Bible verse. Memorize it. Keep it in your top 10. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? Those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no con condemnation is a curse. Condemnation is God's punishment. And God in his word says, none. No punishment, no curse or condemnation for anyone who's by faith connected to Christ Jesus. Well, how can that be when I'm a sinner? Because God already punished. The, right, the condemnation happened. The curse took place for your sins. The punishment took place when? On the cross when Jesus died 
and took God's wrath and punishment for your sins. And, and so, in Jesus, your sins are punished. Okay, then why do I still suffer, right? Verse, uh, verse 9 says, all Christians are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Uh, maybe look at it this way. You and I still suffer hardships, troubles, trials, temptations, pain, wounds. Why? These are not lightning bolts that God is casting down from heaven because He's angry at you. He did that once to, to Jesus on the cross for all of your shame and guilt. It's done. You're forgiven. Then why? Why do we suffer? Because th this is like an electric shock from God. Not a lightning bolt, but an electric shock from God. A controlled, managed electric shock that God wants to jolt you. He, he wants, right? He wants to get your attention, perhaps. Or he needs to zap out of your character uh, pride or greed or lust. And so this is God working on you, not because he's mad, because he loves you so much. He wants you to improve. He wants to work on your character. He's, he's moving you. He's directing you. Uh, that's, that's what it's like. Sometimes God will, like a surgeon's laser, right? Like an electric, it's not a shock, but it's a focused laser of, of electricity and power. Like that laser, a surgeon will use that laser on your eye or on another part of your body for surgery. Like that, God is going to actually cause you wounds in your Christian life. Yes, God is the cause. Sometimes, you, we, a lot of times we bring them on ourselves, right? Our, our bad decisions, our mistakes we make, we can bring wounds on ourselves and trouble. That's fine. God will use that. Sometimes God just directly allows it, and it hurts. But it's like a, a surgeon's laser, and it actually creates a wound. And then here's what happens. The devil knows this. The devil knows that you're wounded by God, by yourself. God wants to use it for good, like a, like a surgeon uses a laser. But the devil wants to infect that wound. And so he comes to do his dirty business. Watch out for the devil, Peter says. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's how the devil infects your wound. He can't do it directly. He has to do it through your own will, through your participation. And so what he, dealt, what he does, the devil does to you, is he promises you relief from that wound. Oh, this must, right? He said, this, this had to hurt terribly. How could God be a good God if, if he's allowing this? You have to end this. This is bad. Suffering's bad. Pain is bad. Get rid of it. You, well, I'll give you something that'll make it better. Oh, thank you, Satan. Thank you. You must be on my side. You want to help me take care of my pain. Oh, that's wonderful because God sure isn't helping me. God's actually causing this because he's all-powerful. He can take it away, and he's not. Thank you, Satan, for loving me so much. I trust you implicitly. Tell me what I need to do to get rid of the pain. Oh, well, that's easy. You self-medicate. Could just go ahead and just binge watch something on Netflix while you ignore all your other, other responsibilities in life, and that'll make it better. Go ahead, one or two beers? Nah. Try three or four. Maybe finish the six-pack. That'll numb your pain for sure. Then you'll feel great. 
That, right, that's self-medicating. We can self-medicate by working too much. We can self-medicate by drinking too much, by spending too much. All of it we do to take care of our pain because the devil tells us that it's, he promises relief. None of it delivers relief that the devil promises. Here's another kind of relief the devil promises. He says, nah, it, it's that, for, just don't worry about it. And this is dismissing or, or denying, right? In denial that the pain is real. Uh, it's pretending. It's faking. No, it's not that bad. I'm just going to not worry about it. I'm just going to dismiss it. And uh, God's trying to get our attention through this managed shock of electricity. And we're saying, ah, it's nothing. It's not real. Because the devil doesn't want us to think it's real. Because it's going to be good for us. Another way the devil promises relief is, is projecting or transferring our pain to others. All right? This happens through complaining and blaming. I'm not the problem. They're the problem. Right? If my boss wasn't such a jerk, if my neighbors weren't so loud and noisy and irritable, if my parents hadn't raised me this way, if others weren't the problem, everything would be okay. Right? Projecting, blaming, or com complaining, or venting. Right? I'm under stress. It hurts. There's a wound in my life. God's causing this pain. I just got to let everybody know it. And I can do that through a number of different ways, being irritable, complaining all the time, being a negative Nelly, blaming others, right? You, all of us, what I just described, are, are in what I just described somewhere. If you're like me, you're in there multiple ways as we're attracted to what the devil says is relief. This is why the Bible says, be alert and of sober mind. Sobriety, to be sober, is to think clearly Think clearly, because our thoughts lead to feelings, and our feelings lead to behavior. Thoughts, feelings, behavior. And the reason we behave badly is because we feel incorrectly, and the reason we feel incorrectly is because we think unclearly. We don't think with a sober mind. Our mind is intoxicated with lies. So Peter says, he's been there, be alert and of sober mind. What, what is thinking clearly? What does that look like? Basically this. What does God think about this? That's it. I, I can go to others for advice. I can practice a saying that my grandma said all the time when she visited. I can, I can listen to bumper stickers. I can go on Instagram, check out some memes. That's, that's all good, but... In the end, if you want to think clearly, you have to think like God. His is the only absolute, all-time, always true thinking there is. And we can do that if we're listening to God and turning down the other voices. Think clearly. Then, the Bible says, resist him, the devil, standing firm in the faith. So, here's, I want to help you to think clearly when you're suffering. Um, I read this in my spiritual reading this last week, and it's a fantastic description of how we suffer 
And, uh, and, and that's it. I just said it. it. The what that we suffer is never what trips us up. Never. If suffering trips you up, it's not what you are suffering. It's how you are suffering it. All right, so here's the quote. Here's what this, here's what the, my spirit, uh, I read this this week, and it just opened up a world to me. Um, the author said this of the devotion. He said, when we suffer, it's not just the thing that we suffer, but we suffer the way that we're suffering it. Right? Again, he's not, it's the, not just the what, but the how. That's what he's saying. When I suffer from something, allergies, it's, my suffering isn't just the allergies, but what I think about the allergies. How, how I think, how they irritate me. How they, they cause me to be fatigued, and when I'm fatigued, I'm irritable, and when I'm irritable, I'm, I'm just, I'm a jerk, and I hurt people. And I think that's okay. I'm entitled to hurt people because I have allergies. Is that clear thinking? Say no. Correct. So we never suffer the thing, just the thing. We always suffer the thing and how we're thinking about the thing. So I think the goal here, knowing that we can't avoid suffering, for Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians is, God, help me with my thinking. Help me be clear and of sober mind and not intoxicated with myself and my ideas and lies. Help me think clearly. And, and it is implied in this statement, resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith. It's going to take faith to think clearly, but you can do it. And Martin Luther says, with one word you can fell him. You can drop the devil to his knees with one word of clear thinking from God. And that word might even be just no. Yeah. Yes. No. Even kids can do this stuff. Clear thinking from God. Here's some clear thinking. Humble, this is verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you think that God is hurling lightning bolts at you, you're not going to think he cares for you. So it starts with you being confident in faith that this is a God of grace and he's your heavenly father and he takes care of you and he, and he sent his son for you and he loves you. And when you're suffering, he hasn't, he's not removing his love. He's not changing what he thinks of you. You're his child. And so then, then you come to him not as master, not telling him that you're the surgeon with the laser, but he's the surgeon with the laser. And you say, God, thank you. What, what, where do I need your laser in my life, and how do I recover when you create the wound without the devil infecting it with his lies? Cast all your anxiety on him. You can come to God, and you can say, God, the pain is too much, and I'm tempted to numb it with self-medicating. How, how do I get over that, God? Help me. You can come to God and say, God, it hurts. He cares about you so much, he's going to listen to you saying that. You can tell him that. Be honest. Be real. 
Then, then you're treating your pain as real, and you're not denying, you're not dismissing. You can say, uh, suffering causes confusion. You can say, God, I have no idea. Why, what's going on here? Why, why have these string of things happened? It, like strings of three, we like to say, right? We experience trouble in groups of three. People look for this sometimes. I think they make it up sometimes, and I think it's real sometimes. God, why? Why three? Why not one? God, why, why, why this bad month? Why? God, does this have to happen while I'm sick? You can say that to God. He cares about you. He wants to hear how you honestly feel. You can go to him with that. Cast your anxiety on him. God, I don't know. Are you teaching me something? I don't see it. Guide me. Give me the truth. Give me wisdom, God. Cast your anxiety on him. That's humbling yourself under God's mighty hand that he can lift you up. God, you can say, it's too much. for I can't handle this. I'm, God, I'm worried. You're giving me too much. Don't ask so much from me, God. What's going on? You can go to him with those prayers. That's casting. That's being humble. Now, here's something I caught in these verses. It says that God's hand is mighty. If God's hand is so mighty, then why does the Bible tell me that I have to humble myself under God's hand so that he can lift me up? If God's hand is so mighty, why can't he lift me up without me humbling myself? That, that's a question I have about these Bible verses. It says right in there that God's hand is mighty, like almighty, like he can do anything. So God, just lift me up. Stop making it so difficult. Just lift me up. But God says, I can't lift you up. You're too heavy. Kind of like the question, the conundrum sometimes people ask, could God create a rock that's so big that he couldn't lift it up? Yes or no? What was that? Why? That's, I love that. This is not a simplistic yes or no answer. This is actually a very complex question and answering it with a question. Very Socratic, very Jesus-like. Uh, there's more to it, right? There's more to it than the, than the question is presenting. This is like lawyers, right, deposing you, asking you all these unanswerable questions. Um, I, I also think that's another unanswerable question. You know, why, why can't God lift me up if he's so mighty? There are some answers to that, but in the end, it's not going to fit in here. But there are some pieces, just like can God create a rock so big he can't lift it. There are some, some biblical responses to that. And here's how I would respond to the question, if, if, how can I be too strong for God? I thought he was almighty. When it says God's mighty hand wants to lift you up, it's not by force. God will deal with his enemies by force. God will do to the devil what the devil does not want God to do to the devil. And God says, I don't care. I'm taking care of business. God will do to world rulers who are resisting what he wants to happen on this planet, what he wants to do to wor world rulers at his time and in his place, and he will make it happen, and they have no choice about it. God tells the sun to rise, and the sun rises. God tells the cancer to leave your body. It's going to leave your body if he wants it to. See, he, he deals with things, especially his enemies, by force, but he doesn't deal with his children by sheer force. 
He wants to deal with his children, not by force, but by faith. So he wants you to not be so heavy, to not be so full of pride, to not let your ego be so big it can't make it through the door. He wants you to be humble. He wants that to be part of the process. And that's why it says, be humble, and then God's going to lift you up. He wants, he wants, you get that? God wants to work on your character and on your faith and on the inside much more than he wants to just work on the outside and pull right? He wants to calm your heart more than he wants to calm the storm. And that means he might leave the storm and wait for you to be humble enough to say, God, I'm scared. God, I get it. You're sent in the storm. It's okay. You're God. What does this mean now for me? I'm going to hang on to you. That's being humble, that's, and that's what he's looking for. That's what God's looking for. Uh, that's loving discipline. Again, God disciplines his, his children. He doesn't punish us. I think the, a great picture of this is the loving, is the hand of loving discipline of a parent. Okay? So, the hand, we talked about this during the children's message about baseball, right? The hand, the loving hand of a parent when it's throwing a ball to a two-year-old or a three-year-old who's learning how to catch or a five-year-old who's learning how to play shortstop, that parent will throw that ball at a place where they know their child can't catch it. Now, isn't that cruel? Isn't that a parent throwing a lightning bolt of discouragement at their kid? No, because what are you doing? right? When you're teaching your kid how to play shortstop, and you, right, you throw the ball just far enough where they have to lunge for it, and they, they, can't, they can't get it. But what have they learned? Oh, I, I, I can dive on the ground, and I won't hurt myself. I can stretch up here, and I can, and so you're right, you're stretching them and teaching them to grow. It's not so much about teaching them to play baseball as it's teaching them about growing as a person, right? So the loving hand of a parent can throw that ball to a place where the child can't catch it, but guess what? 17 throws later, they do catch it right there. And then you throw it even further, right? That's, how, that's what loving parents do. The hand of a loving parent can take away a toy when that child is not sharing with another child. The hand of a loving parent can swat or send to a timeout or cause pain in some way to teach a child when there's this kind of behavior, you think it solves things, it actually causes problems, it causes pain. I'll show you some pain. And that's the loving hand of a parent. So God's, the Bible says God's discipline is the same way. He disciplines us as his children because he loves us. Uh, loving discipline of God. Uh, Jesus did the same thing for Peter. All right? Jesus wanted Peter, who wrote these words, Jesus wanted Peter to have more faith more peace, more courage, more of a connection to Jesus during the storm. And so Jesus said to Peter, come on, walk on water. And Peter got into water, and Jesus didn't calm the storm. And right in the storm, he wanted Peter to walk on water, and Peter was walking on water in the storm. And Jesus said, come. Why wouldn't Jesus calm the storm? Why wouldn't Jesus calm your storm?
because he's throwing the ball a little past where you can catch it. And as you stretch, and as you grow, you become stronger. And you might even miss it, but he doesn't care. Because you're not the same person you were before he threw that ball a little further than where you could catch it. Was this a success, this walking on water for Peter? Absolutely. Even though he's, right, the Bible says he saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink and Jesus reached out and he said, oh, you have a little faith. Do you think Peter has that in mind as he's writing these words to us? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up. This is Peter saying, get out there and walk on water. And be so clear-thinking, minded, that you're so focused on Jesus that you don't even know it's raining. And you don't even know that there's 10-foot waves. You're so laser-focused on Jesus who's so laser-focused on you that, that you don't know it, that you're that, you're that clear-headed. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, it says in Matthew 14. All those hands of Jesus. Think... Let's think about Jesus' hands. Little tiny infant hands of Jesus with little tiny fingers groping around one, just one of Mary's little fingers, showing that God came into our world and became vulnerable and became small and became so little, so small for such a big God to rescue us by smallness, by, by service, not by greatness. Think of those 12-year-old hands of Jesus learning carpentry from his father Joseph, learning how to fix things. And those little 12-year-old hands grew up to fix things, to reach out and touch a blind man's eyes and heal him to reach out and heal lepers of incurable disease, to reach out and raise the dead with mercy and grace and compassion. Those hands that learned to fix things ended up fixing things. Think of those hands of Jesus as he was arrested in, in Gethsemane, not lashing out against his accusers, his tormentors like Peter did. I am the man. I am who you're looking for. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And they take him away as he goes willingly, his hands tied. Think of the hands of Jesus shaking and bloody, grasping the shepherd's staff that they give him, leaning on it as the Roman soldiers mock him and, and say that, yeah, he, right, you're a king. And they press the crown of thorns on his head as his scalp bleeds. Think of those hands, and he's, he's grabbing on for life to this staff, knowing that he's going to die soon, but not giving in and not giving up. And then think of those hands stretched out on the cross. He knows what's happening. He knows, in theory, how it's going to feel, but not by experience until it happens and the big rusty spikes puncture his skin, and the hammer hits 
the iron nail and it goes through flesh and tendon and bone into the cross. And he probably screams. Think of those hands. The hands that didn't remain dead, but when he rose from the dead, retained the scars. The hands that, that he used, actually, when he rose from the dead, his very hands that, that he used to, to show his disciples, to prove that he was alive, to say, right, look, see, look at my hands and my feet. He said to his disciples in the upper room, look at my hands and my feet, it's, my, it's me, it's I myself, touch me and see. These are proof. These are proof that I love you. These are proof that I saved you. He said, look at my hands. And then he, rise, and then he ascends into heaven as his disciples watch in those scarred hands. I wonder if there's sunlight showing through them. I don't, I don't think so. That's movie drama. Uh, but those scarred hands, he's raising his hands and blessing his friends and his followers. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then what does the Bible tell us as he's, he's in heaven? And he's with his father, to whom on the cross he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. The hands of Jesus love you that much, and he wants you to think of them and to remember them and to picture them. And he's He's not going to let trouble and suffering have its way with you in an evil way. It comes to you with a purpose by Jesus guiding hands, Jesus' own hands that experience suffering and even death themselves. Nothing will ever happen to you worse than it happened to Jesus. Nothing. And in any suffering or trouble that happens to you, he's guiding the way and there will be a resurrection. There will be a rising. There will be a, there's a purpose for it. So, why doesn't God deliver you from your migraines? Why does God allow your commute to work to be so expensive and irritating? Why did God allow you to give birth to a special needs child or to have a miscarriage? Why doesn't God fix your spouse so that married life is a lot easier? Why didn't God drop a building onto that piece of property over there, you know, three years ago or five? Why did God allow you to get a flat tire on the way to the airport? Why does God have you in a classroom with a teacher who doesn't understand you? Why are you on a team where the coaches don't get along with each other and they say bad words to the players? Why did it rain in Pflugerville for 40 days and 40 nights? Why do we suffer, God? God says, not, these are not lightning bolts. This is an electrical surge, a, a laser focus of love that may indeed cause a wound, but that will make you stronger. That will make you better. That will bring you closer 
that may help humble you when you don't want to humble yourself. And that will make you you and me me. And that's an awesome relationship with God and with his people. Does God deliver us? Sure, he delivers us through the hands of his son, Jesus. Not always by changing circumstances. He can do that. That's icing on the cake. But God is going to deliver you by removing your fear and anxiety and replacing it with peace and courage. By teaching you about pride and replacing it with humility that other people notice and that's better able to serve them. By causing you to not be able to deny the pain any longer. And then it's real. And then you and God can talk about it. And it can make you that better person he wants you to be. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. That's what Peter says, verses 10 and 11. There's a purpose to it, and God's making you strong and firm and steadfast. Believe that. And then, what do you do with your hands? The photographer had some trouble taking this photo of Bruce Jenner coming out as Caitlyn Jenner. Have you, have you realized this? The, the pose that Jenner is in here? It's because the photographer had trouble hiding the man hands. I'm serious. And so what happens, you, you, you just put them behind your back so no one can see them. Hmm. It's quite a contrast with our Savior Jesus. What should I do with my hands? He didn't hide his. He wasn't embarrassed as the God of all angels and of heaven and of earth. He wasn't embarrassed that his hands were tiny little baby hands, that his hands were, were roped and arrested, that his hands were nailed. Jesus exposes his hands. And he stretches them on a cross and he raises them in blessing and says, I'll be with you always. And he promises that nothing will ever happen to you that is beyond the reach of his hands, his loving hands. And he serves you with his scarred hands. And he says, look, it is I. Look at me, clear thinking. Don't worry about what's out there. No anxiety. Cast it on God. Follow me. And then you say, thank you, God, for these hands. Can you look at, everybody look at your hands right now, please. Look down at your hands. Look at your hands. If you're looking at your hands, say yes. All right, some of you are looking at me when you said yes, so you're lying. Okay? Don't look at me. Look at your hands. Okay? Are you looking at your hands? All right. These hands you're looking at, these hands designed by God the Father in eternity to put the, put you know, the, what's that imprint, that M on there, that you're on your palm, to put that, those lines exactly where they are right now. You didn't put those there. Keep looking at your hands. God the Father put those there. He designed these hands 
And Jesus Christ branded these hands. Keep looking at your hands. These are the hands that Jesus branded. There's scars on those hands. You don't, they're not physical. You can't see them. You can't touch them. But they're there by faith. The very scars of Jesus' own hands are on your hands. It means your sins are paid for. It means that, that God looks at you as his own child like he looks at his own son, and he's pleased with you. Keep looking at your hands. Those are the hands that were actually on the cross, um, miraculously connected with Christ. They have no sins in them anymore, and they have no death in them anymore because they're risen, and, and you are too. Those are the hands. Keep looking at your hands. God, the Holy Spirit has filled those hands. He's gifted those hands with talents and skills and with faith and with forgiveness and with eternity. And these hands are full of spiritual blessings. Don't crowd them out with, with all the other possessions of the world, but take those talents and skills and blessings and now use these hands. What, what should I do with my hands, you say? These hands are best when they're holding God's hands. Hold God's hands and let him work through yours, even through sweat and suffering. Amen. Now fold those hands. Fold them. We're going to pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this message from your dear son, your child, Peter, the disciple of Jesus, a mentor of ours and a writer of Holy Scripture who tells us the truth by your Spirit. He had so much to learn, and we do too. We are so bold in ourselves, so courageous in our own opinions. And Lord, sometimes we just need to fall into the water, splashing away, saying we're not going to make it for you to be able to save us. We know you'll never leave us in times of suffering. Teach us, Lord Jesus. Teach us like you taught Peter. We give you permission to not take away the storms when we think that they're going to kill us and to teach us in those storms and to make us bigger and, and to grow stronger and have more faith and more humility too. Bless us, God, through our hands as you've designed them to be, as the hands of Jesus reach out to others and serve them with our hands. When we feel like we're too weak, in Jesus, make us strong. When we feel like we don't know the way, in Jesus, point the way. And let others, God, be blessed through us, even as we are blessed by you. In Jesus' name, who is at your right hand, taking our prayer to you right now, amen.